Welcome to People Data Insights. This is Paul Ryman. Thanks for joining. Today we're going to be talking talent acquisition, uh, and in particular talent acquisition metrics and analytics. I'll be joined today by Alex Marcus. Alex is the founder and CEO of Integral Recruiting Design, which is a team of expert recruiting technology consultants who help companies fine-tune their talent systems to achieve exceptional results. He's also the founder of the ATS Think Tank, which is a customer community recognized by iSIMS with a Partner Innovator of the Year Award in 2021 and a member of the iSIMS Service and Advisor Partner Network. So here's my discussion with Alex. Hello, Alex. Thanks for joining. How are you today? Doing good, Paul. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, just to introduce yourself to our audience, why don't you tell us what you do? Sure. So I am the founder and CEO of Integral Recruiting Design, which is a team of expert recruiting technology consultants who help companies fine-tune their talent systems to achieve exceptional results. Uh, also have a an online community for ISIMS customers called the ATS Think Tank. And uh, right now, all of our customers are ISIMS customers. We're ISIMS certified experts and members of their service and advisor partner network. Fantastic. We'll definitely come back and talk a little bit more about the Think Tank because I find that concept fascinating and uh, want to hear more about it. But before we jump in, uh, just, you know, so we can continue to get to know each other a little better and uh, and the audience. I've got a quick kind of icebreaker game to play with you. Um, the rules are quite simple. I'm just going to give you two choices and you got to pick one of the two. Um, actually, I think I have one that might be a three choice uh, option here. Um, you know, I'm the most I'm the most nervous about this part of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this is freaking me out the most because you, right. you never know what I'm going to say. It's just, it's totally. not free association, though. It's either or. So that's good. that's right. You can't you can't plan in advance for this one. So uh, <laughs> I think there's maybe only one sort of solid zinger in here, but we'll see. Um, oh boy, I'm oh kidding. Boy. They're easy. All right, here we go. Uh, night owl or early bird? Oh, night owl. <laughs> that that very, without very hesitation. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> that, see, these are these are bad. Um, wine, beer, or spirit? Oh. I, none is, a, of course, a valid, I should say, there, too, to the extent yeah. that there are people who are complete non-consumers. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll take the fifth on that one. There you go. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, this one's flung in there because I, I know what right region of the country you're in. Uh, pizza, Chicago style or New York style? Oh, come on. These these are real. See, these are real. Um, insert sports metaphor I can't bring to mind right now. Um, softballs? Is that softballs, there it is. Well, we'll so, get yeah. there. Well, yeah, but but yeah. There, is a right, there is a right and a wrong answer to the there Chicago the right, style, uh, New York style answer. And the right question. answer is, is New York style, clearly. Uh, see, I, you've got it wrong. <laughs> what? <laughs> Chicago born and bred. Absolutely. <laughs> if you have to fold it, it's not worth consuming. Oh my gosh, that's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, be funny or good looking? Wow, you can't do both. Is it really? Is it? Is it really? Uh, either or? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, of course, both would be great. But well, here's here's the thing. You know, funny lasts forever, and looks will eventually fade. So I'll I'll pick funny. There, hey, I, that 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 might be my new reason for explaining why I will never be good looking. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Um, time machine or magic wand. Oh, time machine for sure. I think I, 
at least once a day, I think about how great it would be to have a time machine. I just love, now our, love history. I love the history of New York. You know, I would love just so to go back. And see that it. answered my question. Sort of like Back to the Future episode one or episode two, right? Are you going back in time or are you going forward in time? But sounds Definitely like more of a history back. buff. Yeah, for sure. Got it. Interesting. I, By the way, speaking of Back to the Future, every year at New Year's, I think about like, well, what if Back to the Future was filmed today? when would they be going back to, uh-huh. right? Just based on the interval of time. And yeah. we'd be going back to the 90s, which just feels so weird to me. It that, was yesterday. <laughs> like the 90s is history now. The uh, 90s was like two weeks ago. That's yeah. what it feels like. <laughs> for some of us, for some of us, that's for sure. <laughs> um, all right, here's another uh, three three choices. Beach, golf, or ski? Oh, well, I'm going to have to say none of the above. Um, oh. Yeah, I... East- the last time I skied, um, I had to like walk down the hill. My skis, while children were literally laughing at me. Children were on the, <laughs> the, the swinging ski, the, whatever that's called. Uh, anything sports related or whatever, I'm not going to be. It's not you. The, it's not, it's you. not me. You'll, no, you'll stick so, to systems. There you beach, go. <laughs> beach, not a big beach fan. Golf. When I play golf, it's like it's like uh, it's a lacrosse or something. It's, yeah. I'm just I'm just hacking away. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I'm going to choose beach out of necessity. There you go. Uh, all right, last one. Uh, you get one of these two things free forever. First class air travel wherever you want to go yes. or eating in a restaurant whenever you want, wherever you oh, want. Oh, see, that's cruel. <laughs> that is cruel. But I'm going to, oh, boy. It's, it's, I'm in pain. <laughs> oh, so I'm going to choose eating in a restaurant again because New York is amazing and has the world's most amazing restaurants. There's However, truth very difficult. Very difficult decision. Yeah, understood. Understood. Well, good. Well, that was fun. Uh, see, and non-painful. Nothing nothing difficult. I didn't put you on the spot too bad, I promised. <laughs> restaurants versus free air travel. That is That was that your was hardest difficult. one, right? That was the hardest one. Yes, but There you all, go. I enjoyed that. So, so given that you're, you know, you're deep in the, you know, talent acquisition technology space in particular. I guess give us your backstory about getting into TA, right? Nobody nobody attends fourth grade career fair and says I want to be a, in the talent acquisition space um, or rarely at least. So tell us how you got into it in the first place. Yeah, so um, I started off uh, after college playing in country bands. Uh, I played violin as a kid and um, I, I went to Ohio State and I moved down to Austin, Texas and I played in country bands for about five or six years and um, you know, I was I was paying the rent and I could eat, but uh, didn't seem to have like a longevity as a as a as a permanent career choice. So um, I heard somebody talking about this teaching program in New York City, uh, where they pay for your master's degree in exchange for uh, working in New York City public schools. So I came to New York and I did that program. I taught in a juvenile detention center in the Bronx for three years, and um, after that, I moved to. Um, being a program director at a night school in Brooklyn. And um, uh, I was supervising about seven or eight staff there. And there were certain things. So at this point, I was working for a nonprofit. And there were certain HR things that I felt uh, were urgently needed um, that just weren't around. Um, and, uh, and so I started using Excel. Uh, to create spreadsheets that solve these the problems. Power the power app. Everybody's power Excel. app. Excel changed my life. It really <laughs> did. I owe my entire career. Well, not the entire thing. People involved too, but Excel was pivotal, really. Absolutely. Um, and so I created this uh, this uh, uh, 
spreadsheet with uh, Virtual Basic VBA, uh, where if you put in your um, number of dependents and estimate number of times you need to go to the doctor and all this stuff, mm. it would tell you which of the three plans uh, you should probably choose and how much you should put in your HSA. And in retrospect, um, you know, maybe there was some. There was some risk, perhaps. Uh, yeah. Looking looking back, perhaps um, you know. Well, we didn't end up implementing it, but um, I showed it to the the director of HR of that nonprofit, and uh, he thought it was pretty cool. Hmm. And he said, uh, you know, if you'd like to join HR, um, I have a very data centric uh, couple of projects that you might enjoy. And so, you know, from his perspective, here was a guy who really, I really knew the, the agency culture at that point. I've worked there like nine years. Um, you know, I was already doing, <clears throat> excuse me, doing HR stuff out in the field, um, just voluntarily doing stuff like that. And, um, you know, he wanted to implement a new applicant tracking system because at the time they were still using carbon PAs, right? Do, do your listeners know what carbons are? I mean, come on. Like, uh, if if the 90s is history, carbons is, uh, is legit know. history. I know. I can just smell. I just say carbon. I smell that. You could smell it. Dirty paper smell. <laughs> right? Uh, anyway, at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I had no idea what an applicant tracking system was. But um, I was ready for a new challenge. And so I said, sure, why not? And so the first project he gave me was um, doing... Um, rolling out the ADP performance evaluation module. Hmm. Um, and then uh, uh, the second or third project was implementing iSIMS and doing this whole uh, process of making the, the recruiting function paperless. Yep. And along the way, I started supervising, doing some own recruiting myself. I did some executive recruiting. I started supervising recruiters. Um, and I spent about three or four years in that position. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. It a lot of fun. I I think what's what's craziest about that, I don't know, since you're uh, more in the talent acquisition space, but I haven't grown uh, grown up mostly in the reward space. There's a there's a product on the market which is the you know recommend a benefit plan for you, right? And um, I think what makes it's it called Alex. There's a company. Yes, that's is, exactly I saw what that. I was going to say. Like I the number myself. of times I've written an email saying "Ask Alex," and people yes. are like, "Wait, is that a, is that a human?" Yeah. You no, know, I mean, yeah, it is, but no, it I isn't. About or that. Um, yeah. so that's pretty awesome that you are Alex. Like, I think, uh, you know, I you know some me. people there, I should say they, you know, we now know who Alex is, the, the, yeah. the, per, the, the human behind the robot is actually right. an Alex. That's right. <laughs> who would have known? That's who would have known? Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about metrics in the TA space and, and kind of how to think about, you know, measurement there, I guess. One question that, you know, I ask people is, you know, how much do you love data on a scale of one to 10? Are you, you know, a 10 data geek? Or are you a 11 data geek? Or are you a two stay away from the numbers? Like, how would you self-assess your, your love for data? Well, I do spreadsheets to relax. So <laughs> instead I'm of gonna, being on the beach golf or skiing, you're uh, creating you spreadsheets. Yes, you should have made the fourth choice, do spreadsheets. Oh. That would have been my choice. Consider it done for future guests. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So I think we can call that a 10. I think you're a ten. Uh, that that definitely uh, that definitely does it. Wow. Um, so given that, right? You think about numbers. You love numbers. You vacation with numbers. Apparently, so you see a lot of different TA functions. Mm -hmm. I guess I want to talk through, like, what are those key metrics that you look for if you're getting to know a new organization? What are the things that you think are the big pivotal? You have to know what they are and know how to interpret them. 
Um, yeah. And let's kind of speak, you know, let's go through each of them to an extent. Like, what are they? How do you, why are they so important? Um, what do they tell you? You know, we, we have a very numbers oriented audience here. So I guess let's, sure. let's talk about some metrics that you use uh, in your space. Well, uh, you and I are both very passionate about candidate experience. So mm -hmm. one of the first things I look at is time to complete application. Um, oftentimes, companies will have the uh, employment application uh, in the form of a, an electronic form in the application process, um, whereas, whereas you're also collecting that information during profile creation, right? And so there's duplicate data entry that happens there that is just, um, it's frustrating for the candidate. You see this mm. on LinkedIn all the time. Sure. Um, I'm sure you know Adam Karpiak. I feel like every third post that he has is about uh, this, this particular issue. Why yep. do I have to enter the same information three or four different times, right? So optimizing that candidate experience to make sure that there's nothing about that apply process that is an impediment to getting them in your system. Mm. Um, I think a sort of old school mentality is, um, you know, they got to want it, you know, they got to earn it and they got to put in the time. To, I mean, I've heard people say that. I just shake my head. Like I just, that, that, that time is long past, I think. Um, so, yep. uh, you know, optimizing that experience to get folks into your ATS as quickly as possible while still collecting all the information you need. Yeah, that's... Uh, it, how do you define it? So is that, it, are only certain systems able to sort of assess, you know, when do they click through the page? Do you mm. use proxies for that? Like how specific do you get when you think about that? Because it feels to me like it's measured in minutes, not in like days or hours. That's a, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it, the friction should be short, even if there is friction. Yeah, it's measured in, in minutes. Uh, it's one thing um, that mm. uh, uh, is really easy to do in ISIM. So there's a particular port uh, that is baked into the system. Um, and it will show you the minutes and seconds, uh, or minutes and fractions of a minute, um, uh, that it takes for the candidate to go through Got each it. part of the process. So there's a, a profile creation section an iform section, screening question section, uh, assessments, all of that. And it'll tell you exactly. It took 1.23 minutes to go through this section. And, um, you can also compare the performance across different portals, right? Mm. So you can see like, Oh, the internal portal, it took, a little bit longer to do this thing over here than it's in the external. Why is that? You can start doing experiments and you can, and you can benchmark uh, uh, what you're doing today. Right. And then compare, make an adjustment and it's like a science experiment. See what yep. it looks like a couple of weeks from now. Sure. Yeah. That's it. It's an interesting example. I, I come from, I haven't been an iSIMS customer. I'll admit it live. Um, you know, I come from using more embedded ATS as I call it, right. Sort of attached to your HR platform. And is here's a spreadsheet. Here's, it's not a spreadsheet. Thank goodness. <laughs> okay. But it's, you know, but it's this is a, a kind of a case study in itself around sort of best in breed versus, you know, integrated solution, right? When you get the ATS that comes with something, even if it's pretty good, you know, the concept of, you know, click tracking essentially and knowing how long something specifically took is is not necessarily there. So word to those out there thinking about ATS systems, just be, there's a, that's an interesting example about if this metric matters, and here's yeah. an expert saying it does, you just want to understand how you're going to measure that and your your system yeah. may not be able to do it. So yep. sorry to interrupt on that, but it's, no, I point. found that fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So applicants per requisition, mm. um, that gives you an overall sense of how well your organization is attracting candidates. I really like that one. Uh, one of my favorites is source effectiveness. And this is a metric that compares hired source to applicant source. Right. And so you, you end up with a number that allows you to sort all of your sources, not just by the volume of candidates coming in. So let's say you have, you know, 60% of your applicants coming in through Indeed. 
right? If you're looking at that number alone, you might be tempted to let's give some more money to Indeed. Hey, we're getting so many candidates. However, you really, to, in order for that to be meaningful, um, uh, you have to look at how many of those candidates actually got hired, right? So if you come up with a ratio of hired to yep. applicants, then you get a score, and then you can rank your sources by the effectiveness. And what you'll usually find is that internals and employee referrals are in the top three or four sources. So I always like to show companies that because a lot of times there's some resistance around uh, investing more deeply in employee mm. referral programs. Um, but if you can just see how powerful those leads are, right? Like the chance of an employee referral ending up getting hired are so much harder for a variety of reasons, but also because I just think your, your, your current employee is very invested in bringing somebody to the company who they know is going to be a good fit, right? So um, that's really, and you know, globally, you'll see some interesting differences too. Like I, I did mm. this for a client that the global Fortune 500 company and uh, university uh, uh, recruiting was a much more effective source in China, for example, uh, and, and India than it was in the Western Hemisphere. Um, so particularly interesting for global companies. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if I could amend that measure to an extent. So one of the things that I have some passion for is like, I wonder about the hiring. Is there a bias there where if uh, a hiring manager knows that this person was referred by somebody they know, is there a natural bias to be more likely to hire them? And and how do we know if they're really a quality hire? So I, I could argue in the future as measurement becomes more possible or to the extent that quality of hire is another metric on the list, you could even replace that the, the numerator in your ratio, right? It's not just did yeah. they get hired, but did we assess more objectively or in a different fashion that they were a good hire? Just yeah. refines the ratio to an extent, right? So it's both a volume and a quality measure could work within that well, yeah. source effectiveness concept. Exactly. And, and quality, quality of hire was the next thing on my list. And it's really There we key. go. Hey, you know, any transition. of these things, any of, <laughs> all of these things are very subject to, to bias. And so at the end of the, and, and look, all metrics, I would period, or subject to bias. We have to constantly think about that. Yeah. Um, but that's a very good call out. And that quality of hire at the end of the day uh, needs to be connected to everything else in order for it to be truly meaningful. Yep. 300%. Yeah. Um, so system utilization, that's another one, very ATS-specific sort of metric. Um, who is using your ATS? And when was the last time that they logged in? You might find some, <laughs> you might find some surprises there. Um, but particularly around Hiring manager utilization, um, that's a big one. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, uh, recruiter metrics. You know, are your recruiters doing their own thing and maintaining their own spreadsheets outside the system or are they actively uh, leveraging your ATS? You know, yeah. you invest a lot of money into these TA tools and, you know, you need to make sure that everybody's using them enthusiastically. And if they're not, they need to be supported in, in figuring out how to use them enthusiastically because, look, you're... You're creating these mega databases uh, uh, internally for your company of talent, and you can source passive talent from your ATS, right? Uh, but if you're if you're not using those tools, you're yep. missing out on a whole lot of candidates who've already demonstrated their enthusiasm for your, yeah. your brand. Totally, yeah. yeah I, um, having implemented a new recruitment system three different times um, over the course of my corporate career, different different places, you know, just replacing it once. Um, it's, you know, stomping out those shadow systems for the six months thereafter, right? You know, why is, why are you still using emails to gather feedback from managers? You know, that's why we have this system or, 
you know, you're building spreadsheets to rate candidates when there's a competency assessment tool built in. <laughs> yeah. um, you downloaded all of the resumes to read them, you know, versus, you know, taking immediate action in the system. All those things that people just can't change behavior immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we're asked to master so many different tools, you know, and I even find in my own practice as a business owner, it gets exhausting. Like I have a friend, mm -hmm. this is a bit of a tangent, but a friend who um, was sharing uh, Notion with me. Have mm. you heard of Notion? Mm -hmm. It's like, I've been using OneNote for years. I love it. But no Notion is clearly uh, far more fully featured, uh, I'll say. Uh, it's just better. It's, it's, so it's yeah. incredible. I, but, you know, it's like, oh, God, now I have to it's another all of my stuff to a new system. And exactly. it's like, oh, do I really have the bandwidth to do that? It's obviously a good idea. So so I, I have, I have uh, sympathy and compassion for for anybody trying to learn new technology. I'm a techie person myself, and I even find it to be challenging. Uh, yeah. when you've been doing something the same way for years. It's it, the change management is super important. Totally, you can't just throw new tools at people and expect them to to thrive. You have to support that. Totally, I um, I didn't jump in, and I should have before on your. It was your second measure around apps per requisition, um, mm -hmm. or candidates per. I find I just find that one hard, right? Because you know what I what I observe in the data, having looked at it in the past myself, is it's a weird distribution, <laughs> right? Yeah. Some jobs will get sixty applicants, you know, forty of which are trash, you know, just because they're whatever yeah. robots or something. Who knows? But they clearly weren't the right applicant. Yeah. Um, and then others, you know, it, there isn't an applicant until you hire somebody because you know it's a shadow system scenario or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. I guess how do you, how do you look at that and interpret it? Given that it isn't like a nice, normally distributed thing, where you know if it's yeah. greater than five, it's good; if it's less than five, it's bad, or yeah. you know some number like that. I guess yeah. talk a little bit about the interpretation of that measure in particular, because I've just I've struggled with it myself. Yeah, well, it, it, none of these things have any meaning or value out of context, right? Like you absolutely have to bring context to. The, the metric to uh, uh, be able to tell some kind of story. Um, with that one in particular, um, you can benchmark it internally. Um, you can also uh, benchmark it to your industry. And that's where hiring a consultant can be useful, yep. right? Because they can say, I've got four other clients who are also in the healthcare space in, in the US, and this is what I'm seeing for nurse applicant volume totally. right now, right? You're either in range or you're out of range. And if you're out of range, let's let's figure out why. Yeah, that I, I tell a similar story around time to fill, which I know wasn't one of your first five measures, which I think is, I love it, right? It's actually a, a metric I think people fall in love with too fast. Um, I agree, agree. You know, but it's so circumstantial and different by type of worker. Um, you know, you're hiring an engineer in India, you're going to see a very different time to, to fill than a, you know, a retail worker in the US, obviously, right? I mean, those are mm -hmm. extreme examples, probably, but um, or let alone an executive position. And, yep. you know, you have to put it within the context of what's normal here. And I mean, those numbers are hard to find. I agree, having some external advice who can at least anecdotally, if not quantitatively, support that. Yeah. Um, but coming across the right benchmarks has been a struggle uh, at times as well. Um, well, even even defining some of these things. So, like, I tried very hard to find a universal definition for time to fill and time to hire. Doesn't exist. It doesn't doesn't exist. It really doesn't. So each company, you know, while you do have articles out there written that says time to fill should be X, um, every company is defining it slightly differently. Like when is that position actually filled? Is it when 
Yep. Uh, verbal acceptance? Is it when the recruiter closes it in the ATS? Is it when they get the offer letter, when they sign the offer letter, when they start? You know, it's like yep. there's like five or six different endpoints for that metric and beginning points, right? Not to mention totally. people can be moved in and out of statuses if there was some back and forth. and some, So, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult to nail that down. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, the other... You know, people can find this on my blog because I'm one of those guys who's written about what it should be, right? But that's it, it's just another opinion. But I think the other mistake people make with time to fill is there's a difference between sort of the recruitment relevant time to fill, which is like how fast am I producing outcomes as a recruiter, right? Which yeah. is going to be a different number than let's say your finance team cares about, which is how long is the chair going to sit open? So if you're budgeting for a position. Yeah. You know, it might sit open for 90 days, but that's because 15 of it was spent deciding do we want to refill it? You know, 30 of it was spent waiting for the person to start after they accepted the offer. You have two very different numbers there between sort of the time to fill as finance might think about it and the time to hire as, you know, a TA manager might think about it. And, you know, a lot of companies try to simplify it into one number and they're both helpful yeah. <laughs> you know neither yeah. are perfect but they're both helpful but for very different purposes within the yep. within the organization for sure yep 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 yeah and i guess the, i guess the last one that i'll throw out there is cost per hire and i can, can i ask for your thoughts on cost per hire because <laughs> I, I this is something that we're working on right now we're working on a cost per hire dashboard mm. and there's so many different ways to talk about it so many different things and there's you know, Sherm has a number $4,700 per hire. And, and, but then in the same paragraph, they said, or you could also consider it two to three times uh, someone's salary. And I'm like, okay, great. Great, great guidance. <laughs> yeah. That's a big difference. Uh, there's so Sounds many things you like can a, measure. Totally. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, um, it's, a, it's a great point. I do have a, a perspective here, which is sort of like time to fill. You have to be clear about what kinds of costs are you including or not. Um, Right. Like one one garbage number that I think gets thrown into cost per hire sometimes is you do some estimating on, you know, how much time are managers spending times the manager's right. comp rate. I mean, now you're just making up numbers to an extent. And and it's real, don't get me wrong. But but to to quantify that dollar wise starts to feel a bit artificial. Right. We're trying to make it a number <laughs> at that stage. Yeah. Um I prefer to decompose it. You see the same thing in my perspective on time to fill. Like you want to understand the different intervals that exist in that time to fill window. How long does it take to approve? How long does it take to source? How long does it take to, you know, get an offer through all that kind of stuff? The same is true for cost for hire. Um, Meaning the sort of recruitment team, controllable expense, staff cost, their systems. Those are pretty pure numbers, right? Right. Um, like that adds meaning. It's when you get into the other stuff, it starts to feel a little fishy. Um, and because recruiter time is the primary thing, I like to separate it. So there's the kind of staff cost per hire, which is mm-hmm. just add up the comp if you want to include benefit load, whatever. But something that represents the team yeah. divided by number of hires. And then separately, there's basically the full TA budget. Include the systems, include the advertising, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, because some of those are more variable than others, um, particularly mm-hmm. in this day and age, unfortunately, in an era of, you know, I, I work a lot in the tech space, which is not a, it's a, it's a contracting sector for talent acquirers these days, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you can't get out of some of those sort of hard costs. You can shrink ads, you know, but you really want to understand how much is staff versus non-staff cost within that number yeah. if you're looking to grow or looking to shrink. Yeah. Great. Thank you.
Yeah, of course. Um, I guess, you know, across those measures then, like you're full of war stories, I'm sure here. I mean, give me an example of a time when you were just like surprised or kind of learned something interesting from the data. It's a question we ask, you know, folks who join this, uh, join this podcast. Like what's a time where the data surprised you or you learned something interesting? Uh, the ROI of sponsored job postings. All right. Say more. Yeah. Interesting. It was a big, it was a big eye opener. Um, so I, uh, when I was working in HR, um, uh, in my last uh, full-time employer, we were just sending indeed money just on a monthly, but here's, here's a pile of money. Uh, and we didn't have a bandwidth to measure it at the time. And so, uh, one of the first things that I did when I, uh, started looking at recruiting spend was I pulled some numbers and hmm. figured out how many hires were resulting from our, uh, indeed sponsored postings. Um, and it was not what we thought. Um, in fact, we didn't, we didn't really have any idea, right? We were just sort of robotically sending money out there. Um, I think a lot of companies will do that. Um, so I, once we had a better sense of how much money was going to indeed, can I, can I, is this, is this podcast sponsored by indeed? Can I say this? <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thankfully, uh, I am the sole sponsor. Of okay, this, so great. Uh, you can say whatever you want. We're fully independent. Uh, ruining, here. <laughs> ruining my career in yeah. real time. Okay. Uh, so no, we, we decided strategically that it made more sense to get some LinkedIn recruiter licenses. Right. Uh, and so we started using LinkedIn recruiter uh, more actively and spending less money uh, with indeed sponsored postings. It'll vary from from customer to customer, of course. Sure. But, uh, for that particular use case, it, we realized it made a lot more sense to get those LinkedIn recruiter seats because we could only afford one or the other. Right. At that particular yeah. company. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I think, you know, maybe we'll be dating ourselves a little bit here, too. But like the ability to target while it's gotten better it's still tough and you know it's hard to replace a human's ability to search and find and convince somebody to become a candidate right. um, so you know spending on ad advertising and distribution which is you know more the indeed route very different than i need to go find somebody <laughs> who yeah. looks like this and you know in, in in the talent markets that we've seen certainly over the past decade and in certain sectors you can't replace that and it wouldn't surprise me i guess that the return on ad spend um essentially is just lower than uh, yeah. you know a more targeted approach well and you yeah targeted is key the key word there like you really have to if if you're going to spend on ads you need to figure out where they work the best mm -hmm. for you so they may work with entry level positions that may be great for entry level positions, they may not work for a certain number yep. of positions, right? Totally, yeah. totally. Uh, what's a what's a mistake you see organizations making as they're kind of looking at these measures, or you know, you know, conducting analytics on their on their function? What what's some kind of key errors or watchouts? I guess is another way to frame it that you see. Um, I don't know if this is a mistake, but it's a it's a huge area of need. Um, uh, so uh, generally speaking, and this is a generalization, um, uh, I think people go into HR because they think of themselves as people, people. <laughs> They're, I'm a people person, right? I want to work with human beings. You know, I get fulfillment from, from helping people work through challenges. And um, I don't, you know, having come into TA and HR through sort of a, a, a backdoor, 
um, I didn't get some of the training that someone might mm. normally get if they'd gone into HR earlier in their career, right? I made that switch mid-career uh, in my early 40s. Um, but what I find is that uh, the level of comfort with data is um, uh, not always w- where it could be, yeah. right? And, you know, I come from an education background, like I mentioned, I was a teacher. And so one of the things that I love doing is... Um, uh, helping folks, not, not just delivering the data, because look, everybody knows that here are the 10 things that we are expected to bring to the table for a quarterly business review or what have you, right? And I, and I think a lot of the times what happens in those meetings is as long as there's nothing alarming in what is presented, um, you kind of get a pass. Like, okay, cool. You got your metrics. They, they look perfectly normal. And now let's move on to some other area mm. where there's something to discuss, right? That's sort of like bare minimum functioning. Right. Um, I like to help folks like really get comfortable and dig in and tell some kind of story. Right. Um, and you don't even you don't need for anything to be glaringly wrong for there to be some kind of story to tell. Yep. Right. So, again, I wouldn't call it a mistake. I just think it's 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 not part of the um, professional culture of HR the way it is in other uh, uh, corporate functions. Yeah, right. I I would agree. I think it's changing. It's actually part of sort of my mission Absolutely. in the world is to try to change yeah, me too. it. Me um, too. You know, it, it, it it's true though. Like we get it, we still, and I say this including myself, we kind of get enamored with the dashboard as right. the thing rather than look these metrics. The the visualization of those metrics is all about kind of getting from data to insight to action. <laughs> and yes. that requires a level of data literacy, fluency, and comfort to, you know, is this a meaningful change? Yes or no? What right. could cause that to change? And there's a diagnosis and analytical process that requires some skills, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Let alone then knowing, well, if I do this, can I change it? Which, you know, is a, is a numerical skill in itself. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. quick, quick plug for those listening, go to dataliteracy.com. Uh, Kind of friend of mine, Ben Jones, uh, founded this company. He's a a former Tableau person, actually, um, who cool. started his own business. Whose mission is to help people become more data literate. It's not it's not an HR specific thing. It's just sort of in general. Um, his books and his classes are awesome to just help Very people cool. get more comfortable. Like you know, be yeah. a cit- a data citizen. Like how can you consume more smartly? <laughs> yep. uh, you know what's out in the world and. You know, the world got a bit of a crash course on that through the pandemic because there were so many numbers and metrics and concepts floating around. But we've still got a long way to go before we can all reliably kind of consume information the way it needs to be consumed to make an impact yeah. for sure. Yep. Cool. No, I love it. Absolutely. Um, my audience and folks that I know uh, are aware, I have a bit of an uh, obsession with uh, artificial intelligence. Um, and there's plenty in the sort of news out there around the usage of artificial intelligence for TA. So loaded question to start. Sort of in your world, is is it a is it definitely a, a good? Is it definitely an evil? But you know, which side of the spectrum do you tend to fall on, you know, putting the robots into play for for talent acquisition? Well full disclosure, I am actually an AI generated uh, <laughs> algorithm. <laughs> I'm I'm do, I'm off doing a spreadsheet on my couch right now while my yeah. uh, AI avatar is uh, answering these questions. So take that into consideration. There you go. You, uh, just, you just put a voice to chat GPT, right? <laughs> it's just talking back instead of uh, writing back. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's improved by leaps and bounds in the last two weeks. Holy smokes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So, you know, like, like anything, uh, it depends. <laughs> I, I saw a meme Always. recently uh, uh, on Instagram. It was, it was it's a con- consulting account. And uh, the gist of the joke that I'm now ruining is that the ans- every consultant's answer to every question is, is it depends. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the context. Um, I mean, look, we, I think we're very, very far being a total non-expert in this field, um, but also being very enamored of uh, Dali and ChatGPT um, in the past couple of months. Um, I feel slash hope that we're still very far away from uh, AI replacing human judgment. Um, you know, I think that um, it will become more and more apparent um, that many recruiting teams are spending way too much time on administrative tasks. Mm. And as uh, we find ways to automate those administrative tasks more and more intelligently, um, I think, look, uh, the goal is that it frees us up to do more of those things that that we truly enjoy, the human element of all of our jobs, right? Yeah. Um, The nightmare is that it just uh, uh, sweeps people away uh, indiscriminately and then we end up wishing we hadn't done that because we miss good old fashioned human judgment. Yeah. Um, but it's a double edged sword as with anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about this a lot, right. And where, where is there an ethical and sort of productivity enhancing use case for, you know, machine learning within HR and for, you know, for talent acquisition, there's been a lot of discussion. I think it's, you know, the Amazon story about like using AI to actually make a decision. Um, you know, and and that has more pitfalls than benefits, probably. If you uh, ask me, kind of, you know, with with one man's opinion at this point, you know, but but something like just a smarter sorting, like when when the recruiter mm-hmm. opens the rec and and sees that there's twelve applicants, it's actually a productivity enhancer if somehow you can smartly sort. Like here's the ones that might more likely be a good candidate, um, or certainly you know a simpler use case which has been around there's tools that do this like scheduling is the thing everybody hates about recruiting right you know how do you get the calendars aligned between a candidate and um you know and the hiring manager or whoever's doing the selection and you know that there's been products out there for a while to help facilitate that so like those are good use cases where that's a productivity enhancer it doesn't decrease the judgment and the you know the hard and and fun part about recruitment you know, it just makes something a little bit less friction filled. Uh, I don't oh. know if you agree, but you know, I think there's some use cases that are there that you know need to mature, and then there are others that people talk a lot about that just might not really be as valuable once you really you know peel the onion back. Well, I, I think we need to be far more vigilant, and we're probably being right now. And I also think it's incredibly important that marginalized voices are a big part of this conversation. Mm. Um, have you heard of the Algorithmic Justice League? Yes. Familiar with this website? Yeah. Yes. AJL.org, um, founded by Dr. Joy Wallamwini. Um, she started, I think she was at MIT, and um, she had a friend who was working on a facial recognition uh, uh, product, and they found that it didn't recognize black faces mm-hmm. because the AI was trained on non black faces as its data set, right? Yep. And so, you know, there's so many ways in which that sort of bias can can creep into these processes. And we're talking about people's livelihoods, you know? So, you know, I'm happy, like, I'm not always a fan of more regulation, but um, with the the new laws that are going to affect in New York later this year yep. um, regarding AI audits and whatnot, um, I think it's, I think we have to do it. Absolutely. It's very important. Could, 
Couldn't agree more. I uh, almost got into an argument with, uh, it was a video recruiting platform, and this is going back 10 years at this point. Um, so very early stage usage of of ML, right? And this is when salespeople would just say AI because they figured you'd say, yeah, great idea, um, even if it wasn't. Um, you know, but they talked about, how, yeah, you know, we, we're going to see video of your candidates and we'll have interviewed your highest performers. And it's, you know, the 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 robot is going to tell us who's likely to be a high performer based on their facial. And I'm like, really? You know, <laughs> you know, and very easy. It's it's hard to say, well, yeah, if your high performers happen to look or act a certain way, it's going to yeah. d- detect that. And, right. you know, the, the, the negative signals are obvious there about what could go wrong. Sure. Uh, they didn't see it, oddly, but uh, I'm like, no, that's that's not a good idea. Like, thank you for sharing, but that's not a good idea. That's not going yeah. to be helpful for society, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Well, you know, and, and what about folks who are non-neurotypical, right? Um, probably mm-hmm. not going to perform anywhere near as well, according to the algorithms, on, on that sort of an interview. Totally. Totally, yeah. Coming from a guy who can't sit still to save his life, right? Like, it, it, what's it going to pick up on that? Uh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's a yeah. great point. It's a great point. So let's shift gears a little bit and uh, let's talk a little bit about your ATS think tank. So can you share a little bit more about what that is, where it came from, uh, you know, and, and how it's how it's helpful? So share more about ATS think tank. Sure. So um, I had two uh, business ideas in COVID. Um, one was iSIMS Consulting. The other was um, uh, helping people with Zoom. Because uh, I noticed we were all zooming, and some folks were thriving, and some folks were really struggling. Um, so I started doing Zoom for people. It was a little business called Host My Zoom, and which is now defunct. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I uh, did this on Saturdays and, and Sundays, and um, uh, I, in the, over the course of doing hundreds of Zoom sessions with people, I got to be really, really adept with all of Zoom's features. And around the same time. I started posting articles on LinkedIn about sort of obscure technical aspects of working with the iSIMS platform. And uh, an iSIMS consultant reached out to me and we hopped on a call and, and talked and we became friends. Her name is Emily Paget, And uh, we decided to uh, put together a biweekly call for iSIMS system administrators. And um, I, I think at the time it was motivated just by a sense of wanting some more community. You know, as a as a system administrator of a piece of software like that at a company, you're the resident subject matter expert. Like, there may not be anybody else you can really uh, talk to on uh, about your work on the level that you you would like to. So, uh, we envisioned it as a place to talk shop, problem solve together. Um, but it got far more popular than we ever uh, expected. And you know, over the past two years, I think we've had three hundred. 300 uh, ISIMS customers come through. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's been it's been really, really a lot of fun. Um, ISIMS will come and do presentations. We've had other companies and special guests come as well. Uh, we do something called Secret Candidate, where we all get together and apply for a job on mm. one of our attendees' portals and then come back with feedback for that company. And um, folks have gotten a lot of uh, actionable feedback and they've uh, adjusted things based on that experience. So, um, but you know, it can, it can be being a system administrator can be a a lonely profession. Um, So we wanted to uh, bring people together. Um, You know, we find that uh, attendees are now reaching out to each other to uh, get questions answered and um, asking each other about different items products. Like, do you, uh, what's it like using this? What's Mm -hmm. it like using this other thing? Um, Do you think it'll work for our use case? 
So it's really um, uh, a lot of fun in a really thriving community. Every other Friday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Oh, that's great. I I definitely have found it when I was a practitioner, right? Not doing what I'm doing now, but, you know, in the, in the real world, um, it was always nice to have a network of people who use the same tools. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the kind of party you bring your spouse to because, you know, you're nerding no. out on the things that, uh, you know, <laughs> no normal person cares about. Um you know, but it's it's one. It's it's just fun to geek out with people who speak the same language. But you get a lot out of it. And you know, I've kept personally, I've kept pretty close the folks that I've learned to trust their voice. Right, where when they yeah. say, "Yeah, they're going to tell you this," but here's what life's really like. Um, it just shortens the whole you know purchasing cycle <laughs> for things if you kind of know what works, what doesn't work. You know, certainly. Anybody who's been through an implementation, if you talk to the person who did it, you're going to save yourself tons of time to, you know, getting, you know, picking their brain. So I'm a big, big believer, big fan of those kind of niche communities of like-minded folks, uh, for sure. I think that's great. Thanks. Excellent. So if, if a listener wants to find you or, or get connected to the ATS think tank, where do they, what what should they do? Where should they go? Sure. Well, how about LinkedIn? That's a good place. Uh, Alex Marcus one uh, on LinkedIn. Um, integralrecruiting.com is our website. Uh, for the ATS Think Tank, it is ats-thinktank.com. And you can also email me at amarcus, A-M-A-R-C-U-S, at integralrecruiting.com. Excellent. I, is there a, there's an Alex Marcus not one? Uh, like you couldn't, you couldn't claim the non-numbered one? <laughs> You know, like I, I need to reach out to this guy and see if I can buy that URL because it does it does bother me. It does bother me. It's One like when, fine you get, day. when you get the email, you know, address when you're part of a big company and there's a number at the back. It's like, gosh, I'm always going to be number two, right? I can yeah, <laughs> I can never yeah. be the first. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Oh, too fun. Well, well, thanks for joining, Alex. It's been enjoyable. Uh, I hope the you know it wasn't as stressful as the this or that uh, may have suggested. And and I know I fantastic. found it interesting to you know to hear more about your journey, about what you're building, and about your perspective on the industry. So thank you so much. And thank you, Paul. This has been delightful, and um, really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks. I really hope you enjoyed listening to Alex and his perspective on uh, the talent acquisition industry. We are introduced by a mutual friend who um, understood our our passion for TA analytics and and particularly uh, analytics in the candidate experience space. Um, and I just found his perspective and his insights into the industry and uh, into metrics quite insightful. So I, I hope you did as well. If you enjoyed this episode. Uh, As always, a few things you can do to help us. Uh, One is give it a five-star rating or a thumbs up or whatever makes sense on your particular podcast platform that does help others discover the show. If you want to share it, uh, go to LinkedIn. You can find this uh, a a post on the Novo Insights LinkedIn site. Uh, Feel free to share that with your network so they, they can discover it as well. This podcast is brought to you by Novo Insights, where we help people teams think differently so they can make a bigger impact in their organization. Until next time. Let's be honest. You don't know why your candidates accept or decline your offers. Recruiter feedback is unstructured and probably a bit biased. 
So why not listen to your candidates in a way that generates real insight into their experience and decision-making? Novo Attract gathers better feedback from your candidates through the candidate cycle. It helps you better understand the candidate experience, and most importantly, helps you know why talent accepts or declines your offers. The Novo Attract dashboard makes it easy to understand what matters, and our analysts make sure the data is used and put into action. Check us out at www.novoinsights.com slash novoattract.